today is from Philippians chapter 1, page 830 in the Red Pew Bibles. And today we're looking at prayer, particularly Paul's prayer for the Philippians, Paul's attitude in prayer, which knowing Paul is one of thankfulness. Whether he was in prison, whether he was free, he was thankful. And uh, I, I like to play a lot of chess games on Sue's phone. I bought Sue a nice phone and one of the little features on there other than making phone calls is playing chess on there. And I'll have any number of chess games. When I open up a, cha- a game, it may have been a day or a week since I've played, I always have a look and see, am I winning or losing? Uh, how many pieces have I got? And basically I, I sort of figure out where I'm at with it and I get an attitude. And sometimes I open it, I think, I'm losing this. And, I'm, and I think, hurry up and kill me. Paul, when he looks at the Philippians, he always looks with thanks. And uh, he looks at them and he gives thanks for what God's doing to them or with them, uh, how God's preserving them. And Paul's heart is set on that thankful attitude. And we can learn a lot from him in his pastoral care. Let's read now verses 1 through to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, for whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. May God be praised today. Amen. Thank you. We can praise you with song and uh, with uh, joyful sounds from instruments, uh, even with dancing. And Father, we uh, pray... Thank you. We can praise you by uh, listening to your word and uh, really seeking to understand what it says. We pray now for uh, us here and for the uh, children next door in the Sunday school that as we hear from your word that uh, we would be changed by it. And so we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. This morning we're finishing our three-part mini-series on prayer. I want to ask you, how do you find prayer? Uh, Do you find prayer to be a joy? Or do you find prayer to be a struggle? Or is it sometimes a bit of both? Some uh, Some more one and sometimes more the other. What's prayer like? you. Uh, Many years ago when I was a young Christian I was part of a Bible study group and prayer group in my church 
And there was two young ladies who joined the, church, joined the group. Uh, both, they, they were friends. Uh, they had both only very recently become Christians, out of darkness, into the light of the kingdom through the gospel. And they joined our Bible study group. Uh, the topic one night was prayer. And I still remember it because one of these young ladies, uh, she spoke about her feelings about prayer. And she said, I love prayer. The fact that I, even I, can talk to the creator of the universe and I can tell him all my problems and I can just talk to him as much as I like. She said, prayer, it's fantastic. I love prayer. It's really encouraging when you hear someone say that, isn't it? <clears throat> there was an older gentleman in the uh, Bible study group who'd been a Christian for uh, many years. And I also remember what he said. After listening to this girl, he said to her, What? You enjoy prayer? I just find prayer hard work. Now, I must admit, he wasn't the most encouraging person in the church. <laughs> uh, he was a my glass is half empty kind of guy and I think may have been a little bit unhelpful what he said but he actually had a point because sometimes prayer can be a little bit difficult I wonder how you feel about prayer do you love praying to your creator or do you sometimes find it hard to, be, to pray and to be consistent in your prayers. My guess is that we all need a bit of encouragement in this area. And that's been the goal over the past couple of weeks, it's to raise the topic of prayer uh, and to encourage us all to be people who spend time regularly just between us and God uh, in prayer. Now, it may seem strange that last week we looked at Philippians chapter 4, which is the very last chapter in the book of Philippians. And this morning we're going to look at the very first chapter in Philippians, Philippians 1. That's strange, isn't it? We don't normally do things that way in this church. Normally we work through a book of the Bible from beginning to end, not from end to beginning, but we're actually not working through Philippians. This is a topical series on prayer. And what I've wanted to do is I've wanted to just pick out various parts from Philippians uh, in order to uh, encourage us in various aspects of our prayer life. And so last week from Philippians 4, we looked at that question of why we pray. What is the basis upon which we can talk to God? And remember, uh, we learned that it was all about the character of God who God is and what he's like. Uh, God is all-powerful. Uh, God is all-loving. God is all-wise. And he wants us to talk to him. He's, he, nothing thrills him more than for us to show our dependence upon him in prayer. So that's why we should pray. And friends, uh, it affects what we do with 
our anxieties and our worries and our cares. Because God is all-powerful, because he is all-loving, because he's all-wise, and because he invites us to pray to him, we are to take our concerns and our anxieties and cast them upon him. Let him take the load for us. Friends, as we turn back to chapter 1 this morning, we see a very great example of that kind of prayer in action. Paul starts this letter to the Philippians, to the Christians who are living in Philippi, by telling them that he prays for them. And so as you're turning up Philippians chapter 1, let me just... uh, uh, paint the picture a little bit and tell you a little bit about the, the friendship that existed between Paul and these Christians living in Philippi. Uh, Philippi uh, was a, a city in Greece, um, specifically in Macedonia. And about 10 years before this letter was written, Paul visited Philippi as the first ever person to go to that city and to tell people about the gospel of Jesus. Paul suffered when he went to Philippi. Uh, He suffered opposition as he preached the gospel in that city. In fact, he was put into prison in Philippi. Now, we don't know exactly how many people became Christians during that trip that he'd made 10 years before writing this letter. But in Acts chapter 16, we are told three really wonderful stories about three really wonderful people. You may remember some of these people. There was a lady by the name of Lydia. She was a merchant. She was a dealer in in fine cloth. And when Paul and his companions shared the gospel with Lydia, she believed in Christ. She became a Christian. Uh, There was another young girl who was demon-possessed and uh, she used to make money for her. She was a slave girl. She used to make money for her master by telling people their their futures and their fortunes. When she met Paul and his companions, she too turned to the Lord Jesus Christ and became a Christian. Remember, Paul was put into prison uh, because... The, uh, uh, he roused such, uh, such um, controversy in the city and the Lord miraculously brought him out of that prison and in the process of that, someone was converted. Who was that? It was the jailer, the uh, former Roman soldier who was now in charge of the, pro- of the jail came to know Christ, he and his household. And so Lydia... Uh, the servant girl, the Philippian jailer, you know what had happened? A young baby church had been born in Philippi and others became Christians as well. Now, that was the beginning of their relationship. We know that Paul visited Philippi on at least two further occasions, but this letter was written about ten years later. Paul was in prison again, this time in Rome, in the centre of empire, in prison for the gospel, and he was in prison as he awaited his trial, the trial that could result in his death. 
So can you imagine the Philippian church gathered together, they've received this letter from Paul and they're listening to what he says. We can only speculate as to who might have been there. It's possible that Lydia and her household may have been there. It's possible that the young woman, now an older woman, uh, who'd been demon-possessed, she might have been there. The Philippian jailer and his family, they might have been present. All about ten years older and all listening to this letter written by Paul. And so as Paul begins his letter, he wants them to know that he's been praying for them. What does he say about his prayers? Well, we're going to look at uh, this in two parts today. Firstly, in verses 3 through to 6, we learn about Paul's attitude in prayer. Let me read that section for you, verse 3. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So what is Paul's attitude in prayer? Well, three things. First of all, he has an attitude of thankfulness. In verse 3, he thanks God for them, for every one of them, for all of them, for every member of the church, Paul thanks God. Now, there's no doubt that the church in Philippi would have been a motley group of people. That's the way God works, isn't it? He calls all kinds of people from all different backgrounds and all different together to be his people. And when you bring people like that together, people kind of sometimes step on each other's toes and sometimes irritate one another. And, and there was two ladies in the church who were gospel ladies. We read about them in chapter 4. It's Euodia and Suntiki. They were in conflict with each other. That's church life. Paul gives thanks to God for all of them, every single one. Now, it's, there's a, something in this for us, I think, because it can be the same with us. When we think about each other, uh, we can sometimes be tempted to think about the negative things about each other, <laughs> uh, the things which irk us, the, thing, the points of difference and so on. And we can lose perspective when we do that. Because if we are Christians, then we are people whom God has loved. We are people who trust in Jesus. We are people who have been saved from darkness into light. We are now God's people. He's called us together. We're not living in darkness anymore we're not living in sin we're not living rejecting and dishonoring the name of God and so when you think about that and to the extent that that's true of every one of us I reckon we've got a lot to be thankful for don't you 
That's something to be grateful for. That's something to be positive about. And that's why Paul thanks God for the Philippians. Do we thank God enough for one another in our prayers? When we do that, sometimes I've found that when I just pray for a person in the church and I just thank God for them, thank God that they're a Christian, thank God that they love the Lord, thank God that they're growing in godliness, wow, the difference in my perspective, my perception uh, is tremendous. So Paul thanks God for the Philippians. His second attitude in prayer is one of joy. Verses 4 and 5, let me read it. In verse 4, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now the word partnership there is interesting. In the original Greek, I don't like to talk about original Greek words because that's sort of, well, but you know this one. It's the word koinonia. You heard of the word koinonia before? Many of you will have heard of the word koinonia. There's a Presbyterian campsite at Lennox Head which is called koinonia. Uh, it, It means, it's often translated as fellowship. And when we think of fellowship, what what do we think of? Well, we think of the youth fellowship. We think of fellowship around cup of tea after church. We think of fellowship at the bush dance. We think of... But in the Bible, this term koinonia or fellowship uh, means partnership. It means actively working together in a common cause and that cause being the gospel of Christ Jesus. That's what fellowship is. And it's an extraordinary thing, you know, that um, we're often most satisfied in our uh, Christian life and most satisfied in, in our life together as a church when we're actively working together for a gospel cause in fellowship, in partnership with one another. Uh, Paul is full of joy when he, when he prays for the Philippians because of their partnership with him. Now, there's different ways that that partnership has been expressed. Uh, in chapter 2, for example, uh, whilst Paul was in prison in Rome, the Philippians sent Epaphroditus to Paul to care for his physical needs. In chapter 4, Paul reflects on how it was the case that they supplied his need financially uh, and materially as he was doing his missionary work. They worked in partnership with him. It's an interesting thought when you gave financially to the work of the church a few minutes ago. You're actively in partnership, in koinonia, in fellowship with this work that we're doing here. So when Paul prays for them, he's joyful, not just because he's received some money or some material benefit, or not just because Epaphroditus has come, but because they gave out of their love for God and their love for the gospel and their love for God's servant Paul. Uh, You see his attitude in verse 8 where where it's, he says that he longs for them with the affection 
of Christ Jesus. So he prays with joy. Paul's third attitude in prayer is confidence. Now, some people might have thought that if they had Paul locked away in a prison cell in Rome, then they would neutralise his work uh, and that the church would kind of peter away. Uh, That's the view that we even see today expressed uh, in some parts of the world. Places like North Korea, for example, where they want to really get rid of the Christian church. So what do they do? They, they, They go to the leaders, they arrest the leaders, they put the leaders in prison and they think that by doing that, that the work's going to be neutralised and that the church will dissolve. Is that what happens? No. No. It's often the opposite that happens. Take away the leaders, put them into prison, and, and what happens to the church? The church grows. And why is this the case? Well, it's because who is it who causes the church to grow? It is God. It is God. And so Paul, even though he's in another country, even though he's in prison, he's still able to write to them and say that he prays for them in confidence, with confidence, that God, who begun this work in them, will see it through to completion. He's Thankful, he's joyful, he's confident. Now, when Paul prays, um, I I, I want us to think about um, our attitudes for each other when we pray and uh, just uh, encourage you to be thankful, to be joyful, to be confident in praying for each other. And when we pray, the next question is, what should we be praying? Now, remember last week that we learnt that the way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything, right? Uh, And it is right for us to pray to God about the problems that we're experiencing in our lives and the problems in the lives of other people. In our church at the moment, there is... A, a number of people who are suffering uh, a little bit maybe more so than usual. Uh, there is uh, sickness in our church. Uh, there is some grieving going on as well, uh, not just in relation to Ellen's passing, uh, but in relation to another incident as well. Uh, some of our youth group kids are in grief at the moment. Uh, There's some challenging medical issues at present uh, with our elderly and with our very young. We've got plenty to pray about. And that's why last week I thought it was important that we should look at God's invitation for us to cast all of our cares and our anxieties upon him in prayer. But I wonder how often do we pray for one another's spiritual growth? Because that's what Paul prays for the Philippians. Having told them his attitude in prayer, look what he goes on to say in verse 9. 
he said he's told them what you know about his thankfulness and about his joy and about his confidence in prayer but he says in verse 9 and now this is my prayer this is what i pray for you he says i pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So he prays for their love, not because they especially lack love, but he wants their love for God and their love for one another to keep on growing, to keep on growing. Now, what is that love like? Well, it's not just the sentimental or the affectionate kind of love. It is that. Paul himself has an affection towards them and he expresses that. But ultimately, it's, it's love which we're told abounds in knowledge and depth of insight. What do you think that means? I take it that it is the love that flows out of an understanding of the gospel. That's what it is. Um, the Apostle John says something, a very good definition of love. If you want to turn over to page 863 for a moment... In 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 to 10, page 863, consider what John says about love. Right? 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 to 10. It's in your outlines as well. He says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So you see, the definition of love, it's all bound up in God and who he is and what he's done for us and the ultimate expression of God's love, the greatest expression of love that there is, is that he should send his own son to come and to die on a cross for us, to pay the guilt of our sins so that we might be forgiven. It's the gospel. And what does Paul pray? As you go back to Philippians 1, he says... I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. And so it's a love that is based on a knowledge of the gospel, of an insight into what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And Paul prays that the Philippians will have that gospel kind of love and why if you have a look at again at verse 10 so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of christ 
filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And so Paul prays that their knowledge of the gospel, that their knowledge of God's word would be so much, so great, so deep, so insightful that they would be discerning, that they would be wise, so that they would make godly decisions throughout their lives, decisions which would lead to a life of righteousness, so that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. What do you think that fruit is, by the way? What is the fruit of righteousness? I think it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, don't you? Um, the, the, the list of uh, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is not exhaustive, but uh, in Galatians chapter 5, it, it's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's gentleness, it's self-control. And so Paul is praying that they would know the gospel, they would know God's love in Christ, that they would have a deep understanding of God's will, uh, that they would therefore be discerning people, making right choices in life, and that they would be growing to be people who are full of love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and self-control. Now bear in mind that Paul had known some of these Philippians since the very first day that they came to know Christ. He's known them since they were fresh newborn babes in Jesus Christ. And he prays that they would keep on loving God, that they would keep on trusting the gospel, that they would keep on growing in godliness until the last day, the day that they meet Christ. The same point is made in uh, Philippians chapter 1, uh, in Colossians chapter 1 rather. Just go over the page to Colossians 1 verses 9 and 10. He prays the same kind of thing for the Christians in Colossae where he says in verse 9, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding, and we pray this, not so that you'll have great knowledge, not so that you'll be intellectually satisfied, but we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. Now, they say it's not how you start the Christian life that counts, it's how you finish the Christian life. Uh, tomorrow morning, about this time, uh, exactly this time actually, uh, here, we're, we're going to be thanking God for the life of one of our very own, one of our church members, Ellen. Ellen first believed the gospel many decades ago when she was a young woman. Uh, last Sunday, uh, as a very elderly woman, uh, she met Christ face to face. You know what? She finished the Christian life well. Uh, she kept on trusting in Christ. She kept on growing in her knowledge of his love. And she was known by those of us who had the privilege of knowing her reasonably well. She was known to be a lady full of the Holy Spirit 
A lady of grace, of peace, of love, of joy, of gentleness, of self-control. That's a good news story. There's lots of things that we, can, we should be praying for each other and for those we love. But you know what I reckon tops the list? That we should be like that. Trusting God, trusting the gospel, growing in godliness all our days. That's what we should be praying for each other and for those we love. Now, I started off by asking the question, do you find prayer easy or hard? Should we find it easy to pray for each other that we would keep trusting in the gospel and keep growing in godliness? No, I don't think we should expect that to be easy, actually. You know why? Because this is the absolute front line of spiritual warfare. Uh, Satan does not want any of us to keep on trusting in Christ and growing in godliness. Uh, He doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want that for any other member of the congregation. He doesn't want that for your family. He doesn't want that for your mum and dad or for your, your husband or wife. He doesn't want that for your kids or your grandkids. No, no, no. What would, what would Satan rather? Well, he would rather that you be undiscerning and that you get distracted and that you make foolish decisions or ungodly decisions, decisions that will actually lure you away from being fully committed to Christ Jesus. That's what he'd rather. And so what does he work on? Well, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things, where we think that other things are just more important than being committed to Christ and his people. Other things will make me more satisfied. Other things will make me more fulfilled. Other things will make me more happy than to be loving Jesus and to fellowshipping with his people. That's why Paul prays for the Philippians that they will keep on growing in love, knowledge and purity until the last day. And so that's what we should be praying for each other. Now, as we finish up, let's, here's a thought. Here's a thought. I know that uh, many of you do pray for each other. We pray for each other in our Bible study groups. Uh, are you praying for each other in your personal devotions? Why not start praying for other members of the congregation? Uh, why not pick a few people, two or three people, specific people, maybe people who you know, but how about this for something radical? What about praying for someone you don't know very well in the church and committing yourself to praying for them? And when you pray, certainly pray for the practical issues of life, but why not pray Firstly, giving thanks to God for that person. And why not pray for their relationship with God? And if we pray that for each other, how much more should we be praying for our own families? How much more should we be praying that for our husband and wife, if we're married, for our parents, for our children? and and grandchildren, do you pray that for your children and grandchildren? Many of whom are 
entering into that phase of life where they'll be making decisions that will affect them for the rest of their lives. Like whether to follow Christ or not. Uh, who to get married to. Uh, how much to get involved in sport as opposed to being in church on Sundays. They're making critical decisions at this point in their lives and so we need to be praying for them. Decisions which set the trajectory for the rest of their lives. We need to be praying for the young ones. We need to be praying that they would be committed to Jesus. We need to be praying that they would be wise and discerning about their decisions and about their relationships so that they would be growing in godliness and living lives of fruitful service to the Lord. Do you pray for your kids that way? I pray for my kids every day for that. We should be praying for our families, praying for each other. In fact, why don't we pray for those kind of things now? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, we can be thankful to you for each other, that we can pray with joy because of our partnership with each other in the gospel. And Father, we can pray with confidence that it is you who uh, completes the work that you began in each of our lives. Father, we pray for one another. We pray that we would be people whose love abounds more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we are able to discern what is best and so that we would be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Father, we pray uh, for each one of us that we would have a good understanding of the gospel and, Lord, that we would continue to put our trust in that saving message. Father, we pray that we would get to know your, yourself better through reading your word and that we would grow in the fruit of the Holy Spirit all our days. We pray especially for the young of our church, the young in our families, uh, that they would, uh, at critical points in their life, make good, wise, godly decisions that set them on the path of loving and serving you rather than being lured away from you. And we pray all of these things to the glory and praise of your holy name. Amen.